I'm Bryce Butler from Access Ventures, and this is More Than Profit, a show where I talk with founders, investors, entrepreneurs, and leaders of all kinds about living and working with purpose, how they do it, and why. My guest today has been a freelance writer for Time and Essence. Uh, she's co-produced Oprah Winfrey's uh, first Google Hangout, and as well as President Obama's uh, annual State of the Union Hangout, interned at the White House, and been a community organizer for the National Organization for Women. More than that, she's been described as a modern-day Johnny Tillman, who was a well-known welfare activist throughout the middle of the past century. Rosa Frier is a person I have come to admire immensely for her passion and maturity as she thinks deeply about ways to fix the broken American welfare system that leaves vulnerable people without access to available public assistance. Her story is powerful, and she went into tech because she believes writing software is a superpower that people of color and women should have exposure to. She and an all-female team have built an impressive technology product that was initially incubated at the prestigious Y Combinator Accelerator. Her devotion to helping lift up the lives of others began early in her life from personal experiences that have since shaped who she is and what she's about. I am a Bronx native. I'm also first generation Ghanaian American, and I grew up in public housing in the Bronx. And that was one of my first experiences that really helped me understand that not everyone has access to the same things. And my mom uh, worked and continues to work so hard uh, to support myself and uh, my four siblings. And for me, really the biggest impact that her hard work had on my life was her not just being someone who was working, but also her being someone who was going to school uh, for nursing school when I was at a very young age. And so I think, you know, the idea of her not just being in public housing, but also having to uh, get access to food programs such as the WIC program, it meant that public support was so critical for her being able to strive towards her dreams. So it was the difference between her having to use her own money to pay for books, for transportation to school. Um, And so in that way, I like to think of, of public support not just as the direct aid that people receive, but as the potential for economic opportunity because all of those resources are repurposed for what people are really striving to achieve. And my mother has now been uh, a cardiac nurse for more than 25 years. It's fantastic. And it's really that foundation that made that possible. That's, that's really, I mean, that's really impressive. Uh, to have such an, an amazing example, uh, a mom with five children mm-hmm. working, mm-hmm. raising those five kids mm-hmm. and going to school at this. I mean, what a, what a burden, but also a joy, I'm sure. You know, I mean, it's <laughs> yes. like this mixture of like, yeah. just the cha- I mean, I have four kids. So the yeah, chaos, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's tiring. Yeah. Uh, and, mm-hmm. you know, wanting to be there with your kids for schooling events, but recognizing uh, mm-hmm. I need to go do these things for the for the long term opportunity for my for my children. So that's really that's really powerful. Mm-hmm. So fast forward a little bit. So yeah. you go off to to school. Yeah. Where do you go? What do you study? Why do you study it? Hmm. So in college, I studied at the University of Pittsburgh, and I studied English writing, fiction, and political science. So I wanted both 
um, the ability to be able to tell captivating stories about the the things that were top of mind for people within my generation. Um, and I also wanted to understand more about why things are the way they are with respect to policies in this country. Mm. How are decisions made? What are some of the ways that we can have influence over the processes that govern our everyday lives, whether it's why a grocery store is in our neighborhood mm. or not in our neighborhood, um, or who exactly gets to decide on how much in benefits that people uh, can really uh, get access to. Yeah. Um, and so that was really, really critical for my, my upbringing, um, but also really for my educational experiences. Um, and it was there that I really got involved in a, in a lot of causes, such as the Black Action Society. At the time, I wrote for the Pitt News. Um, wow. Yeah, as the opinions editor. So really being able to surface um, my ability to help persuade or to make an argument um, that I felt was about advocating for the common good. Mm. So I, I've got to say, um, that that's a very mature decision. So, I mean, listening to you talk about okay, political uh -huh. science and English writing for these reasons, mm -hmm. I don't know if I made those same decisions going into college. <laughs> so I'm, I'm really curious, like, so, you know, in high school probably, or mm -hmm. what was, what was that the day or the moment you realized this is what I want to go after? Cause that's a, that's a pretty mature path and a very thoughtful path. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Was there something that a mentor or an experience in high school that really shaped that for you? So I remember, um, so, you know, I came uh, and continued to come from a, a Ghanaian family. And, you know, my parents were very influential over my decisions. And one of the things they said to me is like, Rose, you're absolutely going to be a lawyer. That's, that's where you're going to go. And, you know, uh, we want to support you going to school. And I think the major that would be really helpful towards that would be political science. And so yeah. I did some research on that. I was like, mm, that is, that's actually true. But also, I'll be able to learn a lot more about the system, how the legislative branch works, the executive branch works, like how decision-making occurs in the U.S. So it was sort of a compromise ah. <laughs> major <laughs> <laughs> due to their urging, I guess. And also, I think just really being able to bring your passion and creativity um, to change is really important. And so English writing fiction became a huge part of my work as well. That's really neat. Mm -hmm. So then you go from there and I'm, I'm looking at your, your bio mm. and it's really impressive, but also, uh, not what you're doing right now. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So I want to get to mm. like what, how you're at Emerald. I mean, I'm sure there's a threads and we can talk yes. about the threads, yeah. but it's really interesting. You know, I'm reading like freelance writer for time and essence, yeah. digital coordinator and communications and uh, media consultant co-produced Oprah Winfrey's first Google plus hangout and yeah, yeah. President Obama's annual state of the union hangout. I mean, yeah. Holy cow. <laughs> Those are awesome. Yeah. Entered at the white house. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So are there any moments there um, that have kind of shaped, refined uh, even your own value system? Um, things that you hold dear. There's uh, one of my heroes. I think we all have our heroes. One mm -hmm. of my heroes is Colin Powell. Mm. Uh, I was an army officer and he's really been formative for me. And he has these mm -hmm. like 13 life principles, things that kind wow. of govern how he thinks about community and makes decisions. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's always been an interesting way for me to think about leading my team, working in community. Uh, if, if I could ask, are there a couple of 
principles for Rose mm-hmm. that are that you hold dear that are really important to how you function today, but also, you know, how they were shaped in, in decisions of what you put yourself into in the past? Yeah, I think for I, the work that I do now, but all, all I think really throughout my entire career, equality is really the central value that has really undergirded my work throughout my life. And my first job out of college was working as, as a community organizer, living in DC, but uh, doing a lot of work throughout the South, the Mid-South, uh, really uh, trying to help women advocate for their rights uh, and join their existing efforts to advocate for their rights. So um, working on uh, letters to the FDA to influence the first emergency contraception over the counter bill wow. was a huge uh, part of my work when I was just in my like early 20s. Um, and why? Because I, I felt that that would be a huge step towards equality. Uh, and then later, uh, actually working within the government for the White House during the passage of health care reform, because I really felt that health care and some of these immediate services were so critical to people being able to achieve their desires and like live to support their their vision of their dreams for their life. Mm. Right. And I think food really allows me to go full circle with that. Right. It's a great, Bec- great segue. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So talk to us about food. Yeah. So, um, so I'm the executive director of the nonprofit organization M Relief. And uh, we, our mission is to restore dignity by transforming access to social services. So what does that really mean for us is that we believe in the inherent dignity of all people. And we believe that that should be reflected in the way that they engage with the government and government services. And we also know that in being able to access government services like food, it affects all types of other services mm. uh, that they that people are trying to retain day to day, such as their housing, uh, such as their utility assistance. Um, because in places like Louisville, where we've only started working mm-hmm. in, but are, are slowly uh, going to be picking up momentum, it's a huge opportunity for, for us because there are 15 evictions every single day. And a lot of the reasons why people are evicted is because of rent increases that happen every year. Um, And what we see is that if you're able to get SNAP benefits in Louisville, that means an average of $246 towards your household budget. Which is not insignificant. Exactly. And something that we believe is one of the key ingredients in being able to solve for uh, the challenges with evictions in Louisville and potentially even across the U.S., because yeah. getting more resources into households through through resources where people are already entitled to them is, I think, a huge uh, p- path to people being able to achieve economic opportunity and to keep, if you will, the ground level yeah. for them. Yeah, it's neat be, um, to hear you talk about its uh, connection to housing, mm-hmm. because I think sometimes we, we disconnect the two. Mm-hmm. So when the average person I talk to thinks housing, it's brick and mortar, it's, or government housing, it's the mm-hmm. projects, or yeah. it's subsidized, or, you know, it's not, it's not this person, which that it really is struggling with the instability of mm-hmm. just attainable housing, and how the smallest amount, $246, mm-hmm. could mean the difference between being able to pay the rent, keep the lights on, mm-hmm. absolutely, and being out on the street, mm-hmm. and your, your children in shelters. Uh, mm-hmm. or sleeping on couches. So mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. a really powerful thing, just how these things are really interconnected. Mm-hmm. So uh, I've got a I've got a quote from you that I think is really 
really interesting. You you said once this was this was something that I think was lurking around in the background without me noticing it as it relates to kind of in relief and mm-hmm. uh, in my own personal life, I'm the product of public assistance programs. I was raised in the Gun Hill Housing Projects in Bronx, Bronx, New York, on Magenta Street. It's a lot of mm-hmm. pride there, which yes. is great. Yeah, I had WIC in my family. It's mm-hmm. something that you don't really understand until you're older. Having some of this assistance was a critical to my family. Uh, talk to me about. I want to. I want to get a little bit to the WIC. It's great. I think you recognize that now because you 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 talk about it as, as you're older. When you were younger, mm-hmm. how did you feel? Mm-hmm. Uh, coming home to the Gun Hill housing projects in the Bronx, mm-hmm. knowing that your your parents are working unbelievably hard, yeah, noticing the wick boxes and cartons. Mm-hmm. How did that make you feel as a young person? Yeah, I mean, I think what's so fascinating about growing up in poverty is that it's not until you're older at, at times that you actually realize mm-hmm. uh, just some of the scarcity involved in your circumstance. So. Uh, at least growing up in the projects, what I felt is like, oh, the density of so many people living in the same place. Like this is potentially how everywhere is, uh, <laughs> you know, and, um, you know, and I, I'll, I'll never forget just like, you know, you get wick and it's all of these uh, staples of food as well as just um, canned milk. So we, we had cans and cans and cans and cans and cans of milk. Um and so it felt like, okay, well, we're, we're being taken care of, even though these were resources that were like rationed and mm. it, it was just very, um, it was a very difficult time for my mom and my grandmother was also raising us. And so I just assumed like, oh, well, everyone's grandma this done. <laughs> does this. And it wasn't until really I was older that like, oh, like my grandmother raised me because she loves me, but also because it was just really hard for my mom to really parent in the way that maybe she would have liked Mm. because she was always working, Yeah, you know? And I think that a lot of people are, can be potentially denied access to the way they'd like to mother or the way they want to support their children because of financial challenges. And so I remember a lot of that, but I also remember that, that there was just so much love, you know, and even in the face of just financial challenges, that 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 can go a long way. For sure. Mm-hmm. That's, that's great. So at Relief, executive director, mm-hmm. what are what are some of the challenges? I mean, you guys are relatively new, 2014, coming out of Y Combinator, mm-hmm. uh, incubated there. Yeah. Uh, really, really powerful story. Really, mm-hmm. really lofty goal. Yes. So today, yeah. 2020, what, what are some of the challenges you're facing as you continue to grow with your team? Yeah. So I think for us, the, some of the biggest challenges are figuring out the ways, uh, the best ways to grow in tandem with our our governments mm. that all administer the program, and uh, can have uh, varying levels of capacity to serve people who are in fact eligible. Um, and so we know that uh, in some locations they have really, really. Um, a large and robust staff and budgets to be able to support the administration of the SNAP program. And in other locations, they they don't have uh, that degree of staffing and support. So I think really our challenge is to really build a scalable solution that can function with high efficiency and effectiveness, regardless of the location. Mm. So I think that that's one of the big challenges. I think the second thing is being really intentional about scale, right? So yes, we have built a really 
robust tech solution that's powered by eligibility requirements that are publicly available and eligible. But what we've also tried to do is really try to make sure that we have anchor partnerships in locations, that we're not just that tech company that's swooping in, Mm. you know, um, without some type of a pulse of what does the community want? How do we engage them? Um, And so I think one way we've addressed that challenge and Zarina Mine, our amazing director of development and partnerships, has led this work and being able to engage directly with clients to ask, how was this experience for you? What are some of the things that you want? And Genevieve Nielsen, our CTO, has also done a lot in terms of programming on the back end. Like what are the biggest priorities? Um, the surveying clients on what the biggest priorities are for them with that's respect awesome. to the future of SNAP. Yeah, that's neat. I mean, the stakeholder engagement, mm-hmm. the intentionality of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, not growth for growth's sake, yes. but like how can we all win together in this? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's very difficult. Absolutely. Unbelievably difficult because mm-hmm. I, I could see skepticism mm-hmm. from communities. How do you, how do you just, so coming into Louisville or any community yes. like a Louisville, how do you dispel some of this mm-hmm. skepticism or this like, okay, tech company, Chicago, yeah. Y Combinator. Are yeah. You, are you really going to help us or are you going <laughs> to you know make a lot of money off of, uh, <laughs> Uh, those are, yes. you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. So I think one thing that helps out the gate with uh, this credibility is that we're a nonprofit yeah. and we organized as such because we really wanted to make sure there was no question about the why we are doing this um, and that we are doing this for the public benefit. That's great. I think the second thing is that we have really started, you know, even though we're um, going on six years old, uh, we started by really being able to provide our just our basic version of our platform in 44 states. And so we've already had engagement with so many different uh, people in Louisville already. So thousands of people in Louisville, in fact. And so really being able to engage people who've already used our platform um, and to have them really lead some of the ways in which we want to iterate and perfect our process as we build through all the steps they need to enroll is how we build trust and then right. they, they become almost an on-the-ground advocate. Exactly. Ally. That's great. Mm-hmm. Many Some of, of your community organizing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, many of them have already reached out to um, uh, uh, Senator uh, Joni uh, Jenkins. Okay. Uh, just sharing like, hey, this is Emrelief and I want this in our that's state. That's awesome. Right? That's great. That's, that's huge for us. So another challenge um, I'm sure you hear, mm. and, and, I, and this is another thing you said, um, <laughs> Which is great. I love it because it, it's, uh, but I'm just going to read one, one. You said, I have to say, people say government is slow and bureaucratic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I really love the innovation delivery teams that are thinking through how to problem solve within the government. Mm-hmm. So yeah, another challenge, government's slow and bureaucratic. Yeah. Uh, but you're excited about that. I mean, you're excited about innovation on GovTech. Yes. Uh, Absolutely. Where many people would never press into that. So what do you say? What do you say to people that like just maybe roll their eyes or like, oh, good luck. You know, mm-hmm. let's just let's just let government do government and like let's try to figure it out around government. Yeah. So I don't think that works. Like okay. I don't think that you can improve the government without the government. So okay. I think that that's been a huge sticking point for us. But I do think that you have to be creative and innovative about what does it mean to engage the government um, uh, and and how do you address and face roadblocks? So for us, like, yes, SNAP is administered at least countrywide, largely on the state level and in 10 states as, as granular as the county level. 
but it does have a larger agency, the USDA. Mm. And so a lot of our first wins uh, were gained by really being able to connect with the chief innovation officers and chief data officers of the USDA and say, hey, how can you democratize data? How can you make mm. it available so that we can provide more access and information to people who are wondering what are the policy requirements that I need to navigate to know if I'm eligible, right? Um, and so we had some quick wins in the beginning by first going to the USDA instead of going to every county or every state, Smart. right? And so, and then that credibility, I think, ushered in, in, in terms of really being able to get our platform in front of people in their locations, I think a little bit more leverage, right? Because we're not just saying like, we're coming in here and we don't know how people are going to respond. We're saying like, hey, we're coming in here. Like just uh, an example recently is North Carolina. And it's like, well, 40,000 people <laughs> have used our platform already. Wow. What do you think? You know, so I think that's a huge opportunity yeah. for us to to build credibility and think about creative ways, even though it's slow to do like traditional partnerships. Sure. Right. That you can do a lot, actually, um, with government without going through the traditional route. That's good. Mm -hmm. So. Give me give me a vision mm. of of our community. 20 years from now? Oh, that's, that's a great question. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> you know, cause it's like you, you yeah. are passionate. I mean, like yeah. you are, you, you know, everything that I've heard is very intentional and so, and deliberate, yeah. which is great. Uh, and so I, I sense a, 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 a real desire that, that we can do this. And so mm -hmm. what does it look like 20 years from now? Okay. Well, I mean, I would like to be optimistic and say Let's that do in it. 20 years, <laughs> <laughs> there will be no poverty that yeah. we'll, you know, abolish poverty, as Martin Luther King yeah. um, has often uh, said. But I think what I what I see in terms of um, where we will be with respect to things like services, government services and delivery is that we will move fully to what we call at Emrelief the opt out system, a system where you receive your SNAP benefit card in the mail, and it is on you if you'd like to opt out, but that the government, as an authoritative, reliable source of many data points on your life, has all the information it needs at its disposal to issue benefits to you, whether it's through your local housing agency or through your employer, mm. um, through your social security filings every pay period. Um, or through other institutions that you patronize that are through the government. Um, we believe that this data sharing will really be activated to ensure that people can have all their needs met mm. in the, on the quickest timeline possible. We also see that a lot of the ways in which we, we spend our benefits will, won't be on plastic cards anymore. Uh, they'll be really uh, connected to the way that we use technology today, right? So whether it's tapping your phone or tapping whatever device you might be <laughs> using uh, to connect with people. Um, but yeah, the opt-out world is a really exciting vision that we have, and we actually are taking steps towards that right now in Chicago. Um, so we're almost done with the partnership um, that we have with the Chicago Housing Authority for them to share data with us for anyone on the wait list who indicates, yes, I'm interested. I'd like to also sign up for SNAP. Wow. So instead of them reapplying and sharing everything else, um, that's just done automatically. And then we can, if there is an additional question, then we'll ask it. But if there's no questions, which in some cases there aren't, then we can actually just facilitate your card being sent. 
Rose is the executive director of Emrelief, an all-women software development team based in Chicago that has built an easy-to-use platform that allows Americans to sign up for SNAP. They're on a mission this year to serve over a million families, and you can learn more about Emrelief and their work by going to emrelief.com and find out how you can help families in need of food. Emrelief is also a part of the Reconstruct Challenge, an initiative of Access Ventures to make equitable housing more accessible for everyone through new and innovative solutions. You can learn about the Reconstruct Challenge and the work of Access Ventures at accessventures.org. Again, if you've liked what you've heard, drop us a review, subscribe, and stay tuned for next week's episode. I'm Bryce Butler. Thanks for listening.